guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Go near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools who do not know what they do wrong. Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven and you are on earth, so let your words be few. A dream comes when there are many cares and many words mark the speech of a fool. And when you make a vow to God, do not delay to fulfill it. He has no pleasure in fools. Fulfill your vow. It is better not to make a vow than to make one and not fulfill it. Do not let your mouth lead you into sin and do not protest to the temple messenger, my vow was a mistake. Why should God be angry at what you say and destroy the work of your hands? Much dreaming and many words are meaningless. Therefore, fear God. This is God's word. Join me in prayer. Father God, we come before you this morning to worship you. So God, in order for us to do that, we are asking that you would give us ears to hear your word. That by the power of your spirit, you would make known to our hearts who you are and what you have done and then how we are to respond to that with eyes and hearts and hands sold out for Jesus our Lord. God, set a guard over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips, O God. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and redeemer. In Christ's name, amen. Halfway, well, not really halfway, almost halfway through Ecclesiastes. And um, we next week we'll be taking a big chunk of, of, of the text. Uh, but today we're getting a little bit, just about seven verses here, but we're gonna camp on uh, these seven verses because they're really huge. And they can be a shot to our gut <laughs> in many ways. But as we approach the text this morning, and as we have been looking through the book of Ecclesiastes, we've been saying that this theme that we're finding in Ecclesiastes is that a life lived without God is meaningless but a life lived with God matters. Well, what, is that, what does that mean? Well, we've been saying that a life lived without God, a life where you are striving to be your own ruler, walk in your own ways, do what you wanna do, that everything you do in all aspects of your life is gonna be vanity. It's gonna be meaningless. It's going to be baffling. It's not gonna make sense in so many uh, times of your life. But we've been saying that if you live a life under God's rule, God's reign, God's love, then that life really does matter. Doesn't always mean that life gets easier. Doesn't mean that life always makes sense either. But it means that life, even in the midst of difficulty, that every aspect of your life matters and it's meaningful. It's good, it's good. And so a life lived with God matters in every walk, every aspect of your life, your schooling, your parenting, your job, all aspects of culture, politics, business, you name it. Every aspect of our life lived under the rule of God is good and God is on a mission to use all of that 
to restore all of creation and human souls to himself. But we have to understand that living a life under God's reign is the way that that happens. So a life lived with God matters. And as Q, as we've been calling him, Kohelet, or the preacher tells us today, is that a life lived with God is a life that worships God. A life lived with God is a life that worships God. And when we talk about worship, what we mean by that is there's this God word, uh, devotion and reverence for God. I mean, that word worship comes from the Latin word that means to ascribe worth, or the old English word that was known as worth-ship. That when we worship God, we ascribe to him how worthy he is how awesome he is, how good he is. And so when we worship, it's not just what comes out of our mouth and the singing of the incredible songs this morning or uh, of just coming and raising our hands, although that is a part of it, but the very act of worship involves our entire life. Are we devoted to God? Do we see God as the most important thing in our lives, the one that we love the most, the one that we follow the most? That's worship. And so the preacher is saying today that a life lived with God is a life that worships God in the right way. And so he starts in verse one and he says, guard your steps as you go into the house of God. Now before we start, a little bit more into that. We need to have an understanding of the house of God in the time of Ecclesiastes. Now, if you recall in the true story, we find ourselves in the Old Testament. And so the preacher here is talking to a people, the Israel, who would be worshiping God at what was called the temple. And so I want to give you just a little bit of background of the Old Testament temple and why that was important, how they used to go, and they would worship that. And I got, I uh, worship God there in the temple. And here's a picture I think we got of uh, the temple. Brady, do we have that? Is it kicking on? There we go. So this is uh, an artist's rendition of the temple best that they could um, draw out based on what we see in the scriptures. But the temple was the place, the center of Israel's life of worship. And so God prescribed that this temple would be built specifically to his dimensions, and he tasked King Solomon to be the one who would build this temple. And it took about 153,000 people to build this temple in the period of seven years. It's amazing that as you read through scripture, you see how God is an architect, that he cares even about his place of worship here. And what would happen is that this is the place where Israel would gather on a regular basis to sing and to hear God's word preached by a priest preaching the word of God from the Old Testament known as the Torah or the books of Moses. This would be the place where the Israelites would come and they would give their sacrifices to God for their sins. Sacrificing a bull or a pigeon or a giving of an offering of their first fruits of their harvest. They would give God their tithes and offerings to support the work of the priests, the work of the temple that was going on. God's very presence through his spirit was here in the temple. And it wasn't like God was, couldn't be anywhere. He's, he's infinite. He can be anywhere at any time. But God chose to make his presence aware 
and here in the midst of his people within the temple. So there's different aspects of this temple that we see that if we were to visit that temple today, all along the outside of the temple in the white were these outer courts where people like us who were Gentiles, which were non-Jews, would go and, and, and we could hear God's word being preached by the priest. We could go out there. There was a separate area for where women would go. There was a separate area where men would go. And then if we were a faithful Jew and we had sinned and we were wanting to bring a sacrifice to the priest, we would come and we would then be able to enter up here, give our sacrifice to the priest who would then place it at the altar for our sin. But there was this idea that we were still separated from God because of our rebellion and our sin. And the presence of God dwelt here in what was known as the most holy place or the holy of holies. And if you can see this picture, there was this veil, this thick veil that separated God's presence from the people. And no one was allowed to go into this place, the holy of holies, where God's presence was, except for the high priest, and the high priest appointed by God was only allowed to go into the Holy of Holies one time a year, once. And when he went into, the, when he passed through this curtain and went into the Holy of Holies, he had to bring a blood sacrifice for his sins and a sacrifice for the sins of all of Israel. And God was very clear that you could not approach him without being holy, preparing yourself to his regulations. And so although people would come and they would worship here at this temple, there was still a separation from God's presence. And this veil was the one that separated not only Israel, but the high priest as well. And so we need to understand a little bit of, of how worship was uh, affecting the Israelites here when we hear that the preacher says to guard your steps when you go into the house of God. Guard your steps. The idea here is to be careful because here's what Q is saying. Here's what the preacher is saying. The first idea about this is that our life is called to worship God alone. All of life is to worship God and God alone. And so when it says guard your steps before you go into the house of God, it doesn't say guard your steps as you go into the house of you. And the reality is that in our culture today, we want worship to be about us. Our likes, our preferences, our desires. And bottom line, that's idolatry. There's uh, some theologians call it the dog and cat theology. Maybe you've heard that before. Where a dog says, you feed me, you pet me, you shelter me, you love me, you must be God. Where a cat says, you feed me, you pet me, you love me, you shelter me, I must be God. Neither of those are true. Both of them um, exhibit a consumeristic attitude where what's in it for me? If the band isn't good enough on a Sunday morning, then I'm gonna go find another church. I don't like the way Wade preaches, so I'm out of here. 
I don't like the way things go. It doesn't have the right uh, ministry. It doesn't have the right kids programs. I'm out. And we see that there's a church on every corner. This consumeristic mindset is driven into us where we say worship is about not the family of God together to worship God. It's about me, my likes, my preferences. And we're all guilty of that. We're all guilty of that. And so the preacher is telling us, you've got to be careful. When you come to the house of God, who are you worshiping? What are you looking for? Who are you worshiping? Guard your steps. And the the idea here is be careful. Be careful how you live your life. Don't look at God as being a co-pilot a genie in the bottle, your homeboy. God is not your Amazon, one click, give it to me now, dispenser of what I want when I want it. But so often, that's how we look at God. And that affects the way we worship because we're not worshiping in spirit and in truth as Jesus tells us in John 4. Guard your steps. Why are you here this morning? You don't have to answer that, but think through that. What brings you here? Are you here to experience something for yourself? Are you here to give glory to God? I don't know. You've been both before, I'm sure. We all have. We all have. Doesn't change for a pastor. We're tempted to make worship about ourselves. So guard your steps, be careful. And it's not just coming into the house of God. It's not just Sunday. The preacher isn't just concerned necessarily about what you do when you come to the temple or for us when we come to this building made in 1920, okay? Wasn't made that old, long ago, but it looks like it, right? Okay, guard your steps, but it's not just about Sunday. It's Monday through Sunday. Your whole life is to be worked out, careful to walk in obedience and worship to God. Remember what Paul said? says in Romans 12, I'm gonna read that to you. The Apostle Paul in Romans 12 writes this about our worship. He says, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Some translation says this is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Let it be changed to desire the things of God is what Paul means. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Our whole life is to be lived in obedience to God. Guard your steps. Evaluate, who have you been worshiping this week? Who have you been worshiping this week? Guard your steps. Preacher goes on and he says, go near to listen. This is still verse one. We're gonna be camped here for a second. Go near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools who do not know that they do wrong. 
It's draw near to God to listen to him. And that word is rich in the Hebrew language. It's not only do I hear the words coming in and make sense of that, the idea also is that we heed what we hear. We obey what we hear. Another way that it's put is uh, in 1 Samuel chapter 15, the prophet Samuel says this to Saul the king who had just a little bit of story. Saul had re- did not obey God's word, thought that he could just do things on his own even though God told him, I want you to do this specifically, Saul said, nah, I'll just kind of do it the way I want, God. And he's confronted by the prophet Samuel, and Samuel says this, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to, be, and to heed is better than, than the fat of rams. Aren't you glad you don't have to bring animal sacrifices anymore? Bring them up here to Chris and I so that we can present them before God, right? But even though that was the Old Testament ritual, God is saying, look, I would rather you listen and obey my word. The word obey here in this passage I just read is the same Hebrew word that we see as listen in Ecclesiastes today. When you go to worship God, go with the idea of listening, not just to hear, not just to hear the music, not just to hear the word preached, not just to hear the evidences of grace and the stories that God is doing, but as you hear them, let them transform you and then go out in his power and obey what God teaches you to do. Because if you don't, it's like giving a sacrifice of a fool, of what the preacher is telling us here. Well, what does that mean? That means that a fool would come in, or it was very common for somebody to come to the temple, give their sacrifice without any awareness of God. Another way that we can say it is going through the motions, And you can come to church and you can be in a missional community and you can do all these things and still be a fool because you're not listening to God. And you're saying, I don't need to obey God. I'm not guarding my steps. That's foolish. And the wise woman and the wise man listens to God's word and they obey God's word. This is what guarding your steps means. A life lived with God is a life that worships God. It's a life that listens to God. Here's the beauty where the grace comes in as well is we have a God who listens to us. And so when we fail to listen, we have a faithful savior who we can come to as was read this morning in 1 John 1 9 that we can confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us when we don't obey, when we don't listen as we ought, when we make worship about us, we have a savior who has forgiven us and says, start anew, start anew. Let's do this again in my power and in my grace. 
verse two. Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven and you are on earth. So let your words be few. A dream comes when there are many cares and many words mark the speech of a fool. Do not be quick with your mouth. The, I'm reading from the NIV today, but the ESV, I believe, says, do not be rash with your mouth. The idea here is that we can be quick to use too many words to try to manipulate God. And what the preacher is really talking about here really is our prayer life. So a, a life lived with God listens to God. A life lived with God obeys God, listens to God, and confesses where they need to, but also prays. But the preacher is saying, be careful. Because too many words are foolish. See, a lot of times people think, I have to say the right thing in order to get God to like me. I have to say it this way in order for God to answer my prayer. I have to pray an X amount of times every single day so that God really does hear me. I mean, I've been in ministry for over 20 some years and I know that as I work with men and women, praying for a lot of people outwardly is very difficult. I get that, I know that. But often I've heard many people say, I can't pray because uh, everyone else prays so much better than I do. It's like, what do you, what do you mean by that? It's like, well, they, they, they have really good words. Like they're able, like they're, like they're a thesaurus. They're able to like just, when they're praying, you know that they've just been, it's like, did they write that out and memorize that prayer before they came this morning? And it's discouraging and these people, just like they don't wanna pray, they're intimidated by that. And you know what, guys, that's sinful. If that's your heart. Preacher saying, let your words be few. Don't be rash with your mouth. Do you remember what Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 6? He said, don't babble like the pagans who think that with their many words, God is going to hear them. He said, instead, know that your father already knows what you need before you ask him. How good is that? We, what would it change for your prayer life to think that God is your heavenly father that you can come before in prayer? Would that radically change you and the way you pray and the way you approach him? Let me give you an example of that. When my kids were really, really young, not so much anymore, <laughs> but it still happens in different ways, but I, I remember specifically my daughter, Maisie, who's a freshman, when she was little, she was so sweet, and there would be times where, you know, she'd be playing with a toy, for example, and it got broke, and she'd just start crying. And then she'd come to me, and she'd go, Dad, fix this, fix it. That was it. Dad, fix this. And I'd sit with her, and I'm not a very good fixer, but I try, <laughs> right? But I was just thinking, we have a dad, a heavenly father that we can come to and say, God, fix this. 
Sometimes it doesn't take many words. In fact, one of my favorite verses is Psalm 75 that says, I am poor and needy. Be quick to help me, God. I've prayed that a lot lately. I pray that a lot over my life. Now, are there times for lengthy prayers? Yes, absolutely. We see that in scripture. But the idea really what the preacher's talking about here is don't think that your words are gonna manipulate God and get him to do what you want. We have a father that already knows what you need before you even come to him in prayer. Man, that's encouraging in my heart. I hope it is to you. And if you do struggle to pray, whether it's outwardly, whether it's even internally, when no one else is around you, you're struggling to pray and you're like, I don't even know where to start. This isn't a motivation for me. I wanna encourage you, ask Jesus to help you. Jesus, I don't know how to pray. Help me, teach me. Remember the disciples when they come to Jesus? What do they say? Lord, teach us how to pray. I need to ask that all the time. God, I am poor and needy. Help me. What's beautiful, let me just read this real quickly to you. It's been so encouraging in my walk with God. When we don't know how to pray, we don't know the words to use. This is what the Apostle Paul writes in Romans 8. I can find it. Here it is, verse 26. The Spirit helps in our weakness. So the Spirit of God who indwells the people of God. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. Do you get that? That the Spirit of the living God is praying for you when you don't even know how to pray, when all you got is God, fix it. The Spirit of the living God who raised Jesus from the grave, who dwells in you, is interceding on your behalf. If nothing rocks you today, let that rock you. But it gets better. Because if you go through the rest of that chapter, at the end, who is the one who will condemn? No one. No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Which is a big fancy word for praying for us. That blows my mind. Let your words be few. You can't manipulate God, but he desires that you come as a humble child before our king and say, Daddy, fix it. Dad, help me. I need you. I need you to help me pray. Jesus, help me pray. Spirit, intercede for me so that I am following you, that I'm worshiping you, God. I've blown it this week. I don't have a desire to worship you. I don't have a desire to give my life totally to you. God, help me with that. 
trusting that the Spirit and our Savior is praying that for us. What good news. What good news. Many words mark the speech of a fool. A dream comes when there are many cares. The idea of that basically is like it's all an illusion. It's kind of a hard phrase in Hebrew to translate, but the idea is like don't be caught up in thinking some illusion, like a dream that your words are going to manipulate God. Mm -mm, No. Come humbly in submission, in devotion as a worshiper and trust God. He already knows Verse four, when you make a vow to God, do not delay to fulfill it. He has no pleasure in fools. Fulfill your vow. It is better not to make a vow than to make one and not fulfill it. Do not let your mouth lead you into sin and do not protest to the temple messenger. My vow was a mistake. Why should God be angry at what you say and destroy the work of your hands? In other words, why would God be angry and bring you into judgment? What would happen in the Old Testament sacrificial system when the Israelites would go to the temple is often when they bring their sacrifice, whether it was a goat or a bull or whatever it was, they presented it to God for their sin and often they would make a vow that says, God, If you forgive me and answer this prayer, whatever that looks like, then I promise to do this. This is my vow to you. And what the preacher is saying, don't make a promise that you can't keep to God. Don't make a promise you can't keep to God. In the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy, God said this, about vows, verse uh, 21 in chapter 23 of Deuteronomy. If you make a vow to the Lord your God, do not be slow to pay it, for the Lord your God will certainly demand it of you, and you will be guilty of sin. But if you refrain from making a vow, you will not be guilty. Whatever your lips utter, you must be sure to do, because you made your vow freely to the Lord your God with your own mouth. Again, the idea here, watch what you say. We're tempted to make promises we don't keep. We're, we struggle with that. It's like, you, you've, you know, yeah, uh, think, think about your own life. It's like, well, God, if, if you give me this job promotion, then I'll tie 3%. I'll go real big this time. God, if you give me that spouse that I've been looking for, then I'll read Leviticus all the way through. Go all the way. (laughs) Okay? It's like, man, if you can get my kids out of this jam, then I'm really gonna live for you, God. Okay, those sound silly, but we do it often. We've done it before. It's like, God, if you do this for me, then I'll do this for you. And the preacher is saying, don't be a fool. Don't make a promise you cannot keep. And we are tempted often like those in, the Israelites would be is that when they would come to the temple and they would vow something costly of theirs. I mean, it was expensive for them agriculturally to give a whole bull 
and to God, if God would answer this. There was a cost involved. And what the preacher is telling us is that we often, when we have our prayer answered or we get out of some sort of crisis and we told God, I'll do this for you, we fail to do it. And God says, your words match your deeds and it matters. Why is that important? Why is that important? Because God is faithful. And God keeps his word. He keeps covenant. He says, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. What I say I'm going to do, I will do. And because God has created us in his image, to imitate him and to reflect to the world what he is like, we are to be truthful because we are showing a watching world what he is like by the words we say and whether we keep our vows and our promises. It matters. Every word, every promise matters to God. So it's better not to make a promise at all if you're not gonna be able to keep it. And we break promises all the time. You can think about vows that you've made that you've broke. I mean, could you imagine? Imagine just for example, for just one minute, what would it be like if people kept their marriage vows? What would the church be like? How would this world be transformed? We know there's difficulty in that, but that's just the tip of the iceberg. We do it all the time. We tell our kids we're gonna do something, we fail to do it. We tell our spouse we're gonna do something, we fail to do it. We tell God, I'm gonna do this for you. I'm gonna go and be a missionary for you if you just give me this and we fail to keep our words. You fill in the blank. It's dishonoring to God. It's not a heart of worship. preacher summarizes in verse seven. Much dreaming, many words are meaningless. Don't have an illusion, again, that you can manipulate God, that God doesn't see your true heart of worship. He knows. Guard your steps. Watch what you say. Take God seriously. And at the end of the day, therefore, Fear God. We've talked about this before and we see this again at the very end of Ecclesiastes, this idea of fearing God. And that's not a real popular notion in our culture today. Especially this idea of fearing God. What does that mean? Just to recap again, it's this idea that we stand before God in reverent awe. We stand before the God who created all things and we go, how is it that you would choose me to be your kid? How is it that you would love us so much that you would send your son into the world to be my savior? I stand before you, but I also recognize you're in heaven, I'm here on earth. You're God, I'm not. You're great, I am not. You have the glory, I don't. And because this is who you are and this is how I'm gonna respond is in worship, that's fear. That's fear before God. 
And we live in a culture where we don't have fear. We don't have respect for one another. We see it all around us. We see it in the media. And so to fear God comes into our own worship. It's like, yeah, yeah, God's cool. I'm just gonna go when Monday comes and just do what I wanna do, live my life the way I wanna live. I'll show up again on Sunday and pretend everything's great. No. To fear God is to know that he is in heaven, you are on earth. Obey him, listen to him, pray to him. Do you know when Jesus came onto the scene and when he died at the cross, you know what happened to that veil that was in the temple there in Jerusalem? Anybody know? Torn from the top to the bottom, from God to us. And Jesus is the one who has never failed the Father. He's never failed us. And his death made it possible for us now to be in the very presence of God all the time. You don't have to come here to Southwest Indian Ministries on a Sunday to be in the presence of God. You get to do that when you're working and answering the 150 emails you got waiting for you tomorrow. You get to be in the presence of God as you're changing your kid's diaper for the eighth time in 20 minutes. Why is that? Because as Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 6, that now because of Christ's death and resurrection, he has sent the spirit of the living God to dwell in us. Paul now says, you now are the living temple where God's presence dwells within you. That's beautiful. That is good news. For a people like me who doesn't listen well often, who doesn't obey like I should, who wants glory for myself and worship me and get my way and my likes, that is super good news that I have the spirit of the living God to convict me of that sin and says, remember Jesus, the one sacrifice for all time, as Hebrews tells us, the one who was the ultimate priest who has torn the veil and now allowed us to enter into God's presence with confidence. So that no matter where you're at today, this is not to bang you on the head and you go, well, I haven't prayed like I should. I haven't listened like I should. I haven't, I haven't obeyed like I should. That's probably true. Join the club. But we have a Jesus, a savior, the king of the world, who's now made it possible for us to come to God and say, I've blown it, Father, fix it. Guard my steps, spirit. Give me a heart that wants to be devoted in worship to you. And then empower me then to go into the world, to keep my promises, to tell the world about you. 
what you've done, what your story, how good that is, and you've invited us into that. That's why in here in a second, we're going back to the table again today to say, yes, you've blown it this week. Confess that, but then when you take of the bread and you take of the juice, remember Jesus didn't blow it. He fulfilled everything perfectly. The ultimate sacrifice that we no longer have to make at the temple because Jesus himself gave himself for us. Splitting the veil that we now are in the very presence of God, invited into his family. Oh, how good the salvation of the Lord is. Trust in him, family. Believe in him. Cry out to him. He is here with arms open wide. Come to me, all you weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Father, we love you. And God, as we hear your word, I pray that it is convicting us where we need to be convicted, where we have failed in our sin and rebellion this week. But God, we also trust that you won't leave us there, that that conviction brings us to a place of repentance so that we see that Jesus, our ultimate sacrifice, who gave himself for us, who tore the veil, that he opens his arms and invites us anew into forgiveness and love. And that Jesus, we see in your word that there is nothing that can separate us from your love. And Holy Spirit who dwells within us, change us. So that we are wholly devoted to you, O oh God. In the name of Jesus we ask, amen.